Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. Joining me, as always, basketball boy Greg Abadanamorphs. Hello. Uh, Matt Hubertson, last name redacted, censored by MLB The Show, <laughs> at No Pit Stops. <laughs> I just woke up from the best goddamn nap. <laughs> feels so hey, good. <laughs> about time. And for the last time ever, for the first time in a long time, Reed, at MF underscore Reed. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> uh, I was, we almost had a full squad, but uh, Avery is celebrating a birthday of our uh, sworn enemy, uh, Dewey, at his, her um, her partner, who also hosts define, the Cascadia. Define celebrate. <laughs> Just l- sitting next to each other watching what? Mariners baseball. <laughs> Obligatory. Is he even there? Is he not at going to the game? <laughs> She's just so sitting funny. alone at home I mean, using so this as an funny. excuse. Avery, if you're out there, tell us if you're just sitting at home not recording this while Dewey goes to the Mariners game. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Anyway, uh, this is uh, our almost our full squad for our season finale. We may have some gymnastics talk. Unclear. We'll see how Avery and the gang feels. They did have a great episode previewing the NCAA uh, gymnastics regionals, so go check that out if you want to get a retrospective, even though the regionals are now done with. Uh, we may have some emergency episodes, but other than that, it's finally the off season for us, for me. Thank God, do most of the work on this fucking podcast. Uh, so this feed will be uh, mostly dormant until August, uh, when it's football season. We get into our previews. Uh, today we've got a jam-packed show. We'll be talking about NIL collectives. We're talking about listener questions. We're talking about some of our favorite moments from this season for our season finale. Uh, but just so you know, we're still going to have content up at Patreon. We actually just talked about what we're going to do there. We will have, first off, some historic game rewatches from the Pac-12. Only, you know, over the past 20, 30 years, all the best games in the Pac-12 and sort of doing a rewatch of some of those. I think we'll probably have people watch it. We may even do on Discord a little live watch along on YouTube or something. And then uh, we'll record an episode talking about each game. But some candidates... 2011 Stanford USC, uh, 2003 Cal USC. Any other candidates uh, that you all were thinking of? Best games that you were like dying to watch? Historic games? 2018 Washington, Oregon. 2018 Washington. Whatever. I don't even remember what happened in that game. CJ Verdell up the middle in overtime. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. There's got to be a relevant Cal game somewhere, right? Like we can find that. I just said oh, Cal yeah, USC. We, we, yeah, Cal USC. Mm. Paying attention. <laughs> Obviously, Oregon State, Oregon has to be there. Oh, uh, of that's course, good. we yes. all know. Although we could do the Jamar Chase one. Oh, or Jamar, Jamar, Ch- Jamar, Jamar Jefferson. Jefferson. My yes, bad. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a fun <laughs> game. Uh, what's What's one for Utah? What if Utah had a historic game rewatch? What, what, what's it going to be? Utah USC. 2022 is a great one. That's a great uh, one. That is a great <laughs> one. That's an all-timer. You mentioned 2018 Utah UW. There, That'd be fun. There's to honestly a lot of Utah USCs that are that would yeah, 2016, like 2016, 2016, 2014 was really good. Utah USC. Uh, there are some USC wins as well, but I prefer to forget about those, so I don't remember them off the top of my head. Fucking Porter Gustin, just <laughs> oh. the invisible man. <laughs> <laughs> Might throw in 2012 Stanford UCLA in the Pac-12 title game was a yeah. absolutely sad there are so game. many good ones though so I'm, I'm excited it's gonna be fun can we just can we just do an entire episode that is a mashup of dtr attempted hurdles and <laughs> do an episode on that that'd be so just funny watch watch the improvement over time and then right. you get to the last year and he's effortlessly hurdling guys <laughs> he did it once he like figured it out once in that usc game in 20 what was that 2021 and then mm-hmm. all of 2022 was like yeah i'm just gonna fucking hurdle seven <laughs> different dudes all year no i think there's an episode there 
Oh, 100%. Just breaking down each hurdle. That's great. Anyway, uh, so we'll get the historic game rewatches. And then, also on our Patreon, we're going to get up episodes talking about best seasons for each Pac-12 team. So we'll go by, we'll go through Oregon, identify their best season, Washington, identify their best season, talk about each of those. And then we'll sort of end all of that culminating in a draft. We're going to draft our ideal Pac-12 team, uh, Pac-12 conference based on we're going to be drafting all the best teams so first round first pick maybe like 2014 oregon or 2012 oregon or 2013 2015 stanford something like that and just kind of go around and uh try to build our favorite uh pac-12 season so that'll be fun go check it out it's on our patreon at no truck stops uh, com and then finally last homekeeping thing uh, our final ask for reviews on apple podcasts uh y'all will not believe this but uh we got review bombed again <laughs> <laughs> What did you uh, do? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk about what I did. Yeah, that's a big part of this episode. But I got a, we got a couple one star reviews because of uh, this one's from UCLA fans. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're just collecting like fucking infinity stones. We're collecting there, review bombs who have from we each fan base so far. I mean, really, uh, Stanford they don't exist. Cal fans <laughs> have yet to review bomb us. Uh, the Oregon State, Oregon. I mean, Oregon State and Washington State probably. I bet Washington fans haven't reviewed. Yeah, them. Washington fans have not review bombed us Oregon fans have definitely review bombed us maybe with my addition yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah there you go you just we'll like, work on that yeah. yeah yeah you're insufferable enough you'll get us review bombs <laughs> soon enough uh, but first we're starting with some listener questions I put out there hey throw out your rants raves questions for us I've got a select few people really came through I was a little worried we're gonna get zero mentions on this but we got some good ones so I thought we could just lightning quick talk about some of these uh, first one here that I picked out it's from Chad our buddy Chad at UCLA Maltese he asks, who is the worst, worst coach? Worst, he says worst retaining coach. I think he means worst coach who's coming back in the next year. Alex Grinch, Mike Hopkins, Justin Wilcox, or Jared Haas? <laughs> That's a, this, is, this is a good list. Any thoughts about worst coach coming back next year? Hmm, I, I think it's pretty clearly Mike Hopkins. I think he's worse than Justin Wilcox. I think Justin Wilcox is three here. Okay. Rank him. Okay, you got a ranking. Go ahead. Oh, but Grinch sucks too. Man, <laughs> Justin Wilcox is the best one there. What the it's, fuck? It's, it's rel- relative to expected performance and replacement level player. Unquestionably, it's Alex Grinch. Are you kidding uh, me? I kind of think I might agree. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I'm fairly certain Carlos could coach that defense better. <laughs> But he only has one side of the ball. That's the thing. The other three, they, they're head coaches. I mean, here's Matt's, to Matt's point, it's bottom, like no other coach was bottom 20 at anything they did this year, right? Like Cal was not a bottom 20 team. They were bad. They were not bottom 20. And no That's other fair. team is quite literally a national championship contender without, like, without this them like <laughs> true this is true i think you've swayed me alex grinch i think you're right okay i've All never right. been wrong <laughs> uh here's a fun one now that we got the full seasons under our belt and greg and i were cackling at one of these teams half the season we were collectively cackling at the other worst season in totality cal basketball or colorado football i think greg and i answered this so read matt i don't know if you kept up much with cal basketball this year but uh thoughts about this this really just turns into a conversation that's Mark Madsen versus Dion, right? Like, oh, <laughs> but that is where I was going. Uh, I think if you don't include coaching changes, then it becomes a conversation 
but with coaching changes, it's without question Cal season was worse. It was so much worse. It was terrible. Listen, uh, I know you're not going to slander. You're not going to slander my UVU Wolverine <laughs> head coach. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a good hire though. I mean, that wasn't bad. We yeah, could... it was a good hire. I was surprised they managed it. Yeah, it was a it was a good really Cal. really really good hire. I was shocking. I'm going to say Cal basketball just because I feel like it, it takes it's you got to be special to lose all but three of your games over a 30 game season that's that's hard uh colorado i don't know it's you only get 12 shots you win one i don't know there's something about like just like pure from a pure winning percentage standpoint uh cal was cal was worse but i also feel like there were times with colorado where i felt like Maybe they, they were somewhat competitive, and I'm like, maybe there's some talent here. You know, they're kind of garbage or, hor- or horrific. But Cal basketball was like, what the fuck? Who no, here's, is useful? Here's the on difference this team? for me. Here's okay. the difference for me. I enjoyed watching Colorado football games <laughs> last year. I, I had fun watching those. At no point did I ever enjoy a Cal basketball game. I, I did not watch very many of them, I'm not going to lie. And the reason I didn't watch very many of them is because every time I did watch, it was miserable, disgusting experience. <laughs> uh, Colorado football at least lost in a way that was entertaining to me. And so for me, it's very clearly Cal basketball that was worse. Yeah, I, I think we're understating how bad Colorado football was. Like if you I, go I back so and look through this, like – Literally, there are two games the entire season where their score wasn't doubled by their opponent. Okay, like, that is pretty bad. It was the Cal <laughs> game and the Arizona State game. Uh, but otherwise, like, this team really should not have won a single game. I think, like, that Cal game, even they lose, you know, 70% plus of the time. Every other game on the s- schedule is almost hopeless. So I, yeah. they were really bad. They were. Yeah, you went. We went into those games being like, "Yeah, uh, it's it's a lock. Just bet the bet, bet the opposite. Mm-hmm. Just fade Colorado every single fucking time, every time." And it uh, it usually worked. At, at least Cal was like, "Oh, they kept that. They were in contention with that team." Oh, weird. And, and yeah, there really is. There's like the LeBron factor of nobody has delivered on the hype as well as LeBron. Colorado might have. Colorado was a game away from completely delivering on their preseason hype. Almost. You, I was looking back at some old tweets, and do y'all remember that one dude from TikTok who was like, it was like 40 days from the season, and he's like, I am betting $100 on TCU to cover like a seven-point spread over Colorado every single day until the season starts. Oh, and yes. He like did it, and he like did a TikTok of him doing that every single fucking time. He had like $4,000 on that game. You, you, that is a No Truck Stop listener. Yeah. He knew. He knew what we'd been saying for months. Oh, if you look man. at the, the spreads, too, Colorado was two and ten on the year against the spread. Cal was thirteen and eighteen, so bad. But that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty that's, good. That's a great point. Uh, okay, all right, great point. That's it. Colorado good was a worse team. Cal was a worse season. Don't care. Yeah, too, too miserable to watch. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably true. Uh, all right, more. We got a rant here from uh, hated Husky. He's at dog oh, seven eight four four eight you're, six you're two nine. You're actually going to read this shit. I'm actually going to read this uh, <laughs> rant. Washington has the best coaching staff in the conference, top ten paid in the country. Yet we all celebrated quitter USC and scrimmaged by Florida and Penn State, Utah. Washington had the best bowl season win by far. Essentially, a road game against Texas, who was metrics top ten. Read you. <laughs> You have your hands in your face, Reed. 
All right, Reed, you get to react I to this first. Be- I just like cannot believe you're giving this person a platform. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm about to log on to the No Truck Swaps Twitter and block this dude. This is just delusional. Like, what are we talking about? Um, oh God. I, I, I my favorite part. My favorite part is where he where he says top paid, top ten paid in the country as justification, like that proves his point. Because as we all know in college football, how much money you make is how good you are. Uh, that's always how it works, and no bad buyouts are ever paid. So here is okay. I, I'm actually gonna. I, I don't. I I may slightly disagree with uh, the of homie hated husky, you, but I'm gonna defend UW shell. I'm gonna defend. Uh, I'm gonna defend his take here. Number one, I think we all agreed, and there was pretty significant conversation. First of all, that UW had the best season in the Pac-12. Like they, no, that that's just we not all what agreed happened. with that. Non, non, no, no, not you, all you of said us. that. You, <laughs> you dictated to the group <laughs> that that was what happened, and all of us like, ah, I'm not so sure. They Good had the they had night. the best record this year. That is true. Um, and here's the thing: is that like Kalen DeBoer. I'm kind of on board with him. Like, you know, he's had this whole track record of him being him winning at literally every stop he's ever been at. Like, he just wins games at every place he's ever been at. And we had incredibly low expectations of UW. Now, you might argue, and Greg made a point during, like, basketball seasons, it, it, it's actually more impressive to have high expectations and meet them or exceed them than it is to have low expectations and exceed them. That is true. But I feel like with Washington, um, I, I I just felt like I don't know they were they were mostly solid and good. They went eleven and two on the season. They yeah. turned one of the worst offenses in the country into one of the best. Michael Penix is going to be a Heisman contender next year. Was a dark horse Heisman contender or at least Heisman invite contender this year. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like uh, you know, Utah. They're, I don't know that I always trust Andy Ludwig. Kyle Whittingham can be weird. That team also kind of underachieves a little bit. Uh, USC, Alex Grinch, you all said it. Literally the worst the worst returning coach in all of the Pac-12, in basketball and football. So I think when you take it at the aggregate, I don't know. I don't see why it couldn't be Washington. I don't think this is, cra- I don't think it's as crazy as y'all are saying. I should say that him saying Washington has the best coaching staff in the conference, if he'd left it there, it would have just been a hot take that I would have considered and not maybe laughed at. <laughs> it's his justification that makes it ridiculous. Okay. I, I, yeah. <laughs> like, the acting like the salary means shit, uh, yeah. and then talking about quitter <laughs> USC, and then scrimmaged by Florida and Penn State, Utah, as if Washington didn't get the fucking worst Michigan State team. Like, Right. Come on, let's you lost let's Arizona calm down State. a little bit. I don't you lost Arizona State. You did this to yourself. It's just a it's about like what is actually being said. Like if it was like hot take, Washington has the best coaching staff, and I think over the coming years we'll find out that that's true. I would be like, okay, that's fair. But to couch it as a rant of like this is all so obvious and no one's giving us enough credit is just like they what well, this Washington team is still so unproven, like in terms mm-hmm. of actually winning big games against the other major teams in the conference. And you have a Utah program that has succeeded for, you know, at, I mean, at a very high level for half a decade in the conference, one back to back conference titles. Like, 
I just think it's silly. Uh, and I don't is are they even a top ten paid staff in the country? I'm not sure that's even true. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's true after the double extension for Ryan Grubb this offseason. Are they the highest? They're they're not the highest paid staff in the conference, are they? There's no way you can consider that because you don't have any private school numbers. Yeah, no, right, USC. exactly. USC, we don't have USC. I mean, I'm sure Oregon staff. I'm pretty sure makes more than their their staff, which which doesn't matter for the record. Doesn't fucking matter at all. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if that's your number one justification for why they're the best, like I'm pretty sure Oregon's makes more than them. I would bet USC makes more than them, and yeah, what whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Utah isn't that far off either. Yeah, I mean, interesting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> why are we like reading speechless. this on the podcast? <laughs> this this man is a San Jose Sharks fan, I believe. At least he's replied to a few of my uh, my Sharks tweets, and frankly, I don't care for his takes. <laughs> um. All right, you're all being mean to the homie hated husky. <laughs> There's a reason why he's hated, I guess. Uh, pro- appropriate name. Uh, all right, last one here. <laughs> this one's for Matt. When will uh, No Pitch Clocks, a Pac-12 baseball podcast, begin with at No Pit Stops? First of all, elite name. It's I love name. that. <laughs> no pitch clocks. It's, it's completely against my entire ethos when it comes to pitch clocks. Uh, very <laughs> pro uh, pitch clocks on this podcast. Um, during the Pac-12 tournament, just like last year. Come on now. There you go. There you go. Not bad. All right. Well, uh, those. thank you for sending in your rants, your raves, your questions. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it. It pained Reed, and that, that also made a lot of fun. Okay. So let's get into the actual meat of this episode here because, again – uh, I was embroiled in controversy. Last week, uh, I caused a stir on UCLA Twitter and on UCLA message boards. So I'm going to give some lengthy context here. We'll break it up here and talk about the whole situation that unfolded. So so bear with me here. Uh, NIL collectives. Uh, if you're not really caught up with college football and NIL and players getting paid, uh, NIL collectives are collectives that pay players to come to stay, come to and stay at schools. Um, legally, that's not what they're supposed to do, but that's what they're doing at this point. Uh, these collectives are not run by the school. They're usually independent. They can't be run by the schools. So oftentimes you'll have like rich fans or other wealthy organizations get together to pool a bunch of money that they can use to entice players to come to their school. Uh, there's no rules right now for like how these NIL collectives come together, how they should operate. Absolutely nothing. It's like complete wild, wild west right now. There is a UCLA-focused NIL collective called Men of Westwood. Uh, I would say more about it and give some more details, but the issue is, is that the broader populace knows absolutely nothing about it. We don't know who runs it. We don't know what they do with the money. We don't know who they give the money to. We don't know how they decide where the money goes to nothing. Uh, there's a claim out there being put out by the men of Wested and Bruin Report Online, who we'll get to in a little bit, that they donate 100% of their money to student-athletes. Again, I don't. Uh, we haven't had any sort of – there's no way to verify those claims. In terms of transparency, I, I think it's the most secretive, I think the most mysterious NIL collective on the West Coast. I did a little bit of searching and found 21 NIL collectives for the Pac-12 schools, and 20 of them had some sort of founder or executive director listed – Uh, Many to most of them actually also had a a board of directors listed too, but the only one that had that did not have a single person listed, a single name listed, was Men of Westwood. Uh, There's more 
to where I'm going with this and what we're going to be talking about today. But I just want to talk about this because UCLA fans are convinced that it doesn't matter whether NIL collectives are transparent, that we're in this era of NIL and college football where like, yeah, I mean, uh, back in the day, there was no transparency. You had bag men giving uh, players money to come to these schools. So like, you know, in some ways, this isn't really necessary for them to be transparent. We don't need them to be transparent. But so I wanted to kick that back to you all and, and hear what you all think. Do NIL collectives need to be transparent, um, and and why or why not, Matt? We want to start. You want to start this off? Um, I will, and and I'm going to answer this in a very particular lens, in in the lens that you are giving. No, they do not. It's a feature, not a bug, of the NIL structure. Um, they do not need to be transparent. They do not need to be anything because there is absolutely zero regulation or like rules around this. Okay, so you're just answering that straight from the no, they don't need to because they don't have to right now. Right, yeah, they, they don't need to. It's not, I mean, it's certainly not transparent and who is getting paid what, why are they getting paid, um, whether or not these are inducements or not, they're definitely inducements. Um, you know, so like, no, they, they definitely don't have to be. Should um, they be? I don't think that there is an NIL structure where transparency can exist, frankly. Like I mm. think that this I think that this really just leads far more toward we are halfway across a bridge that is falling apart and we desperately need to get to the other side of it. Okay. All right. Reed, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think from a fan's perspective, like if you're gonna contribute to an NIL co- collective, it requires some faith in what they're going to, you know, do with that money. Uh, it's going to, you know, in theory, go to benefit the program, at least. I don't think that there's a world where you really can have, you know, especially small donors have any control over where that money goes because roster construction in college football, uh, you know, changes a lot over time. It develops throughout the season. And obviously donors, you know, are not the people who really should be making decisions on how you allocate those funds to players. Uh, But I think more what I found interesting about this all is like just this, the attitude that these NIL collectives and the people promoting them approach fans with. And I thought uh, Dimitri Dorless, who, who wrote that article that in some ways, um, set some of this stuff off he had he really nailed it when he said the men of westwood cannot failed it can only be failed and i think that's like the general attitude is these fans have to step up and contribute and if you ask any questions uh or if you're not doing enough to put your money there then it's your fault it can't possibly be their fault for not providing clear incentives and kind of showing what where the money is going um so I'd like there to be more transparency, definitely. But I think for now, I, I just don't see how it happens. Greg, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very complicated kind of like question. Uh, I don't understand why at the very least you can't have, like those other NIL collectives, a board or at least one director named. Like there should be somebody who can help be mm-hmm. held accountable if something like what happened to Jaden Rashada happens, like some form of accountability, I think you have to have and you can have under this structure because everybody else is doing it. Obviously, you can do it too. Uh, it seems to me like it just looks like a massive scam. Uh, if fans want to go into that, they should go into that. Like, I guess, you know, they can do that. But uh, 
it is wild to me that so many people have defended them for having so little transparency. Like, come the fuck on. Like, you don't have to... You, you don't have to make it easier to get scammed. Like, you don't have to make it easier for yourself to get scammed. What are you doing? Uh, Matt, you you had you have some thoughts about this idea of, like, should they, should, should they at least have a name? You think there's any benefit there? <laughs> the idea... So the idea of having... Of, of them having a name is that so that there can be repercussions in case some rules are broken. The point here is that there are no rules to break. Yeah. Right. Like there is no recourse. I'm not talking about totally le- like legal, but at the very least I would love for somebody to be able to just take some heat online, like, like public accountability. Yeah. Like socially, we all know that guy's an asshole because of what he did as the NIL thing. Maybe he didn't break any rules, but you know, we're all adults. We can make moral judgments on what people do. Uh, and I, w- I would like to be able to have that. I would like for this person, whoever it is, to not just be operate with complete, like mm-hmm. you can do whatever the fuck they want because nobody knows what they are. Yeah, I think that that's definitely fair. Um, I think that it distracts from the real people who need the public shaming. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is yeah. the- Who do you think they are? Well, it's just the fact that this NIL structure is a complete farce and a distraction from the fact that the schools need to be paying these players, that there needs to be direct and these normal ways. Because the problem is, is that it in a normal sports environment, right, like a fan shows up to a game, pays their money for their ticket in exchange for the service of being entertained by the product on the field or by the hot dog or by the t-shirt that they buy. And then those profits are funded back into the team. And that is how the team performs. And so then you have these conversations of, well, we as a team don't have money. We, that this whole idea of like men of Westwood can only be failed by the fans. Like you are not in it. There is no exchange of goods here, right? Like mm-hmm. versus in a normal sports. And because these, these 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 fans are already paying for the tickets. So like fans are they are contributing to the school, they are contributing to the team and the team isn't allowed to then funnel those funds back into the performance of the school. And so then Men of Westwood is coming over the top being like, "Hey, here's a way that you can direct these funds but the reality is is that men of westwood is not saying stop paying for tickets stop buying t-shirts stop contributing to 247 sports they're saying do all of that and give us money because that's the only way that you'll actually receive a return on these other investments that you're making yeah it's a good point to the point about the nil collective thing and, and i had this for later we can just jump on it now is i think it should be clear that uh the burden of paying we we had this refrain of pay the players that burden has now with the way that this is structured fallen on fans like universities mm-hmm. are getting sc- off scot-free on paying players that that is just a reality right like now now it's not the the <laughs> universities with million multi-million hundreds of millions to multi-billion dollar endowments it's now it's not their responsibility to play your players. It's like regular fans who are being tapped to donate ten dollars, a hundred hundred dollars, thousand dollars. Um, I, I think this is absolving the universities of responsibility, allowing them to to curtail, delay treating student athletes as employees. Uh, and this is why universities in, in many places are uh, embracing it because then they don't have to. They aren't the ones who are responsible for having to pay the players. Look, hey, if you want to, you can pay the players. Why are they doing that? And and it's a creation of a system that's so clearly broken that like you're doing the sleight of hand of see, see how much better just pure amateurism was. See how wrong you all were about paying the players. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do think though, like our, 
our idea of what these NIL collectives are should be complicated a bit because, you know, I don't, they aren't all necessarily just scams. Um, I think that they're oper- they operate in very shady areas, but in many cases, I think they're just a collection of these fans trying to string together some sort of organization of the people who have, you know, business and law expertise and money in the fan base and try to get some money to players. And, you know, also, you know, not just out of the benevolence of their heart to help support players, but also mm-hmm. to, you know, get better players there and improve the standing of their program. Um, but I don't think that these these collectives are all so shady. Some of them are, but some of them are truly just fans coming together and like trying to help out their program in a way. Uh, and I think that that comes from a broken system. Uh, but again, that's why I think, you know, the fault isn't necessarily on these collectives. I will say, though, that and this is sort of the uh, argument that I have made and will continue to make on making these NIL collectives at least somewhat publicly accountable. Mm-hmm. Primarily, it's like the the primary central argument for me is how do you prevent another Jaden Rashada from happening? Jaden Rashada, so for those who don't know, Jaden Rashada was a former five-star, I think, now four-star quarterback uh, who was committed to Miami, got a huge NIL deal, but then he got an NIL deal from Florida, a, a bigger one, a massive one. He was going to mm-hmm. get life-changing money, signed a contract to do that. Apparently, his senior year in high school did not go so well. Uh, he got bumped down, I think, to a four-star or something like that. Um, Florida, after recruiting season has ended, uh, the transfer portal stuff has kind of ended, and somewhat late in the game when signing day has already happened, Florida decides to the florida nil collective that gave him that contract decides to pull it from under him and says actually you know what uh we're not giving you that money and it's in the contract saying that you can't uh you can't do that right um now the issue was and i think maybe the most fucked up part of this story that i don't think is getting enough run is Jaden rashada switched his uh nil advisors his agents if you will um, when he signed the Florida contract and those agents were represented, had had on retainer a lawyer um, named Darren Heitner, I think, who was also affiliated with the Florida NIL collective. The issue here is that the dude who negotiate helped Jaden Rashada or his agents negotiate that contract was also the one who was giving out that contract or part of the collective that was giving out that contract. That's and and what happened to Jaden Rashada was fucked up. Like I, to my knowledge, Jaden Rashada is not a kid who comes from like a wealthy family. This was going to be life changing money for him. Like we're talking mm-hmm. millions and millions of dollars. And they pulled they pulled the contract. He got stuck trying to scramble and figure out what he was going to do next, and 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 landed at Arizona State. Did not get anywhere near. Probably got something like twenty to fifty thousand dollars is a number I keep hearing people throw around somewhat randomly, but. Yeah, you know, not nothing, but certainly not the game, the life-changing money that he was going to get at Florida. Uh, that situation was fucked up. Now you might say, well, but we knew the names. We knew uh, the names of the Florida NIL collective. What did it matter? I, I sort of think that we would not have heard about Jaden Rashada and this and what had happened to him if no one knew who uh, was running Florida and that Florida NIL collective. If no one knew what connections the Florida NIL collective had, if no one knew who Florida, the Florida NIL collectives lawyer was. Um, And that sort of, and that comes to Greg's point is that 
at the very least, there's some public accountability uh, being levied on the Florida NIL collective. At the very least, there is people saying, well, what, what happened to Jaden Rashad is fucked up. And I'm going to assume, because this is America, that uh, that is not the only time that a player has been completely screwed over by a collective before. And what's going to happen? How, how will we know if we don't even know who the person who runs Men of Westwood is or their board or their collection of people? How will we know they're not doing a Jaden Rashada? That's what I want to know. Um, I disagree on the premise that having a a head name is what was fucked up <laughs> about. No, no, no. But we learn. I think we learned about it because there was a name attached to it. Yeah, I disagree. I, I don't okay. think that that's okay. why we learned about it at all. I think that we learned about it because Rashada was a high profile target who was going to a blue blood program in the sport. Um, I think that if he was going to texas tech i don't think we ever hear about this frankly if he was going to ucla i don't think we ever hear about this Um, mostly (laughs) because of ucla's place in the sport so i just i I don't think that um i think that it has a, a lot more to do with the drama that it created on signing day and how much of a talking point it was then versus um the 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 setup and the lawyers and everything like that. Like just because we knew their names and we knew that they existed. I, I don't, I don't know that that had anything to do with this story. I think, I think people, I think it caught story because people were like 13 million. Holy shit. That's crazy. That's an insane amount of money type stuff. I, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's what got people interested. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and fair I, enough. I, I'd also say like people do, you know, whether these names are public or not, um, any of these NIL collectives that are going to pay someone 13 million, uh, you know, explicitly or unexplicitly in the name of inducing that kid to go to a certain school, like the people around that school, the reporters who cover it, the staff obviously like know who is involved with these collectives, whether or not it's public information, they know. And in general, like, if the, if a $13 million deal falls through for a top 50 player in the country to go to a major SEC school, it's going to get covered and details are going to be exposed after the fact. Um, should the name still be public? Sure. But like, I, I still think those things hold true. Matt, what were you about to say? I was just going to say, and that's the next part of this conversation, right? Yeah. Like it's, th- this is where it's, that as long as these are independent entities separate from the entities that are covering the sport and covering these teams, we'll continue to hear about them. No problem. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to the next part of this then. Um, and the part that I think got me into the most hot water, this was a huge talking point. Uh, the role of Bruin report online, uh, Bruin report online is the UCLA site on the 24 seven sports network. They are a premium message board. They break UCLA news. And I guess they're also a fan site. Uh, they've been fundraising for this NIL collective men of Westwood. Uh, they've put out several calls for its subscribers and its followers on Twitter to donate to men of Westwood. Uh, Dimitri Dorless, uh, who, uh, someone brought up earlier. They, uh, uh, he writes for the mighty Bruin noted how Tracy Pearson at Bruin report online, sort of braided his subscribers for not donating enough that the amount that they've raised uh, to this point was not sufficient. Uh, I called this all out on Twitter. Uh, I think I personally think this is fucking weird, but I'd like to hear what you all think. Uh, I think it's personally problematic that men of Westwood is functionally using Bruin report online to maintain their anonymity, to launder their credibility and Bruin report online 
is saying, well, yeah, he chooses to remain anonymous and you can trust them and you can trust what he says, what he says, because bro is vouching. We're saying you should trust him. Um, when people sort of ask about transparency, about what or who they're donating to, bro's argument has been Tracy Pearson and David Woods vouch. They argue that they're being very transparent, that there is no transparency besides the fact that you can trust Trace, Tracy Pearson and, and David Woods. Uh, to prepare for this conversation, I listened to Bruin Report Online's podcast to see how they were talking about this because they brought it up. Uh, and they swear this is fine and normal, that because they straddle this line between journalism and, and being a fan site, them fundraising for uh, Nameless NL Collective is completely fine. Um, they argue that they can't be judged by what they call antiquated journalistic standards. They say it's not 1992 anymore. To my knowledge, by the way, no other 24-7 site is fundraising for uh, an anonymous NIL collective here in the year of our Lord 2023. And certainly no other publications like the LA Times or the OC Register are doing this either. But bro uh tracy pearson david words david woods swear that this is i guess normal despite the fact that you know nil collectives have really only become a thing over the past 12 to 18 months uh now personally look i've i have some pretty clear ideas about how i think this can go wrong i'll share those in a bit but i want to hear from y'all am i overreacting here like am i making this a bigger deal should we actually not care if these like message board sites 24 7 sites are engaged in stuff like this or do you have any concerns about it we can start with we can start with reed I think that, I mean, I would say that I think what is happening here makes a lot of sense given how we've set up the different incentives for different platforms to cover college football. By nature, 247, recruiting message boards, like I've written for some of those. Um, it's in part like, you, you know, covering recruiting is information journalism. Like you have to have the sources and you're just kind of trying to feed the information to fans and they pay, pay 10 bucks a month to get that information. Uh, it's not, you know, supposed to be necessarily critiquing the program or shining a light to the worst things going on in it. Uh, that's how we've kind of set it up is what I would say for better or for worse. Uh, and if you throw the issue of anonymity to the side, like, you go on most college football message boards, you will see someone on there making a very similar post to what Tracy Pearson did about, you know, we need to raise more money for NIL. You should donate here. You're a bad person. You're not serious about college football if you don't. That's not good. And I think that, you know, it's especially weird and funny that like the owner of the site is doing it because a lot of times it would get funneled down to another staff member or a major poster on the board. Um, but these things all work in a kind of, you know, connected network. Uh, and that's what the incentive of a 247 fan site is. And it's to give people information about recruiting. And then it's, you know, fans want to help the program, a lot of them. Give them a place that they can donate to say that they are helping the program. Uh, by paying, you know, towards an NIL collective. It's not good, but like that's what these incentives align towards naturally in my in my eyes. I think it's ridiculous that they are berating people for, you know, wanting transparency, you know, and saying that their vouching for this collective is good enough in terms of transparency. That being said, journalistically, I mean, I just do not see uh, Bruin Report Online and the LA team and the LA Times, I should say, as doing the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. 
I don't see Ben Bolch and Tracy Pearson as the same kind. They're not doing the same job. Uh, if Ben Bolch was doing this, I would have a much bigger problem right. than with them doing this because to me, they're not straddling the line of... I mean, they are firmly a fan site. They are a fan site. They are a fan site run by you fans. You don't think they're journalists? I guess... I don't want to say that because it's rude, but like... I mean, but but like this is the actual... Like, it's it's a... This is what we're talking about. If if they have they're any... fans first, journalists second okay. is what I want to say. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, because this is the this is their argument is that like, well, hold on a second, we're not we're straddling the line. And if they just said, "What are you talking about? We're not serious journalists. We don't we don't we're not claiming I, to have credibility." The thing, they're not saying they that. They do have they do have credibility. They do have sources. You know, they get information. There's a reason people pay for it, uh, and they get information. But sites like these are just so clearly run by fans. Like, the the example that sticks out to me the most, and Brune Report Online actually called out this guy for doing it, but you may remember during the Dante Moore recruitment, uh, this was at the same time as DJ Uyunglele, you know, whoever was he going to transfer? I think Justin Hopkins, is that his name? I think he yeah. runs the On3 site. Yeah. Uh, he puts in the crystal ball or whatever their equivalent is for DJ to UCLA. And then UCLA's, uh, like, I think it was the just the Bruin Report Online account. I don't know who was tweeting from it at that time. I believe they said, uh, basically attacked it as being just a blatant attempt by Justin Hopkins at scaring Dante Moore away from going to UCLA because, you know, he was making it seem like there's going to be more competition for that job. And to me, that is just a great example of sites like these are just so clearly, like... They are fans. They are fans first, and they do some journalism. But they are fans. They're, yeah. I shouldn't. You should not think of them in the same way you think of the LA Times. I so I I very much agree that so much of this comes down to what do you pretend to be? Um, are you telling people and and claiming to be a journalistic source, breaking news? We can provide these things. Uh, we are a credible source, so you should trust us about men of Westwood. Um, that if you are if you are doing and saying these things, then the criticism um, needs to be taken a certain way. I think that if there is a response here where it is saying, "Hey, this isn't like the most journalistic, like journalistically integrable," the, none of these are real <laughs> words. Um, things I I don't have a journalism degree. That's why I don't know how to speak. Um, the <laughs> if 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 your reaction to this is to say, "Right, like we." Ultimately, 247 and these recruiting sites have very much been founded and influenced as an extension of the football programs and that their entire existence was originally about covering recording and being covering recruiting and being fan sites and everything like that. And that is what we still are. Then, okay, that's that's certainly one way to look at it. Right. Like, I think that that the one that I come back to is Cougar Board. It's like one of the biggest non 247 fan sites Mm -hmm. out there that, yeah, if they're doing this, like no shit, of course, (laughs) like that nothing about this is supposed to be journalism or is connected to a journalism site. Like you've got to remember 247 is owned by CBS Sports. Right. Like that. this is that there is connections here to true journalism that I do think is important. Um, and so 
I, I get like Reed talked about what these sites were originally founded around. And I definitely get that. And I think that they were founded in 2012. Everything that you said, Reed, I think was very much accurate because it was an environment where every single division one college football program had at least one, if not two beat reporters at every single uh, like local newspaper. And a lot of them had multiple newspapers covering them. Mm-hmm. That industry is dying. 247 has very specifically done a really damn good job of saying, hey, we're not just a fan site. We are also credible journalism. Subscribe to us instead of your local journalism and instead of your local newspaper. And they have grown their business model to be outside of the purview of just a fan site that covers some recruiting and covers high school football. None of this is a critique on 247 and saying that anything that that about that has been unethical the reality is, is that the calculus of how I am judging this move and, and the calculus of saying, Hey, maybe you shouldn't be like, if you're connected to the school and you're an extension of the school's football team and a fan website for the football team, aren't you a little too connected to be involved in NIL anyways? (laughs) Like, like if, if the idea is that you're connected to the school from a fan perspective, you shouldn't be engaging in NIL. And if the idea is that you're not, that you're like, journalism and you're credentialed and everything like that then you definitely shouldn't be so i i I mean everyone everyone dealing in nil is directly connected to the school like not technically but i mean come on like so and i i understand what you're saying by the letter of the law but if you like take the view of how things are working functionally it makes perfect sense that this would be the exact people who would be promoting something like this because they are kind of connected and branded with the school but also can benefit from not falling under NCAA violations. So I mean my issue with this is that yeah it's not Ill, what they're doing is not illegal i guess my biggest issue is first of all bro says oh we're not connected to the program we want to be able to critique them and we have critiqued them in the past and you know that we have a history of critiquing them and we've been willing to do that and lose our relationships the problem is here is not that they're connected to the university but that they're connected to men of west that they've tied themselves to men of westwood in a way that like i my my issue with this is that they ha- if if men of Westwood does do a Jada and Rashada, what's to stop Bruin Report Online from saying no 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 hold on we know this guy, that's not how it went down. Uh, actually, the Jaden Rashada version of this uh, was a greedy kid and asked for more or did this stuff or you know what's to stop Bruin Report Online from like sullying the name of the kid in some way and saying no 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 they didn't pull an offer and do anything shady. It was all the kid and his family. What's mm-hmm. the, sto- the Florida sites not do that? Yeah, but they're not connected. We know about the Florida sites because the Florida NIL collective because the athletic had done some work on it because there was some reporting done on it outside of those collectives. Like Ben Bolch is not talking about this. Don't know if he has a connection to this. I don't know if Ben Bolch, who writes for the LA Times, is someone who's going to be able to have enough access. And so then at that point, the people who are closest to this are also, they have an inv- a vested interest in saying, no, 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 it's not the the men of Westwood. It's actually the kid or their families or their parents. And that's kind of the thing that's troublesome for me. They could definitely do that. But like, we all know they have a vested interest in this not being a fucking scam now, Right. They've been promoting it for ages. When they do that, 
people who aren't just completely in the hole for UCLA, you know, people who aren't, you know, anyone who's not subscribed to UCLA's 24-7 board, basically, uh, I think is going to be capable of the critical thinking required to look at this and be like, wait a second. You know, Bruin Report Online, if they say this kid who got screwed out of this NIL deal that everyone thought he had and he thought he had but is gone now, uh, he's a liar, he's just greedy. I feel like most people will look at that with the skepticism it deserves. If Ben Bolch says it, I think it has way more credibility. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, at that point, you're just sort of saying, well, the only people, the only audience and the only credibility bro has is is with its own with its own subscribers. Right. I don't think Which that's I true don't for everything. They... I don't think that's true for everything. But in this case, when they very clearly at this point have give, made themselves like they've tied their credibility to this collective, in this case, I think it's fair to say that they don't really have a lot of credibility in other things. Like, I don't think this lessens their credibility in saying UCLA offered this kid, you know? Yeah. Reed, what, do you, what were you going to say? Well, yeah, I just think like, that's the market of this site and it the reality of how journalism has evolved specifically around college football and just the wealth of content out there now that you know we're obviously contributing into throwing even more college football content into the great void um (laughs) i mean like what people actually will pay 10 bucks a month for now isn't like some objective reporting uh you know critiquing a program People just want to pay 10 bucks a month in larger numbers uh, and broad strokes for like, hey, what's the chance that UCLA actually does get Dante more? Let's speculate about that and hear someone who maybe knows a few people in the athletic department give us a few inside nuggets. Like that's what people want. Uh, and that's the service that 247 and other fan sites provide. Uh, that's okay. But, you know, to say the quiet part out loud, the other side of it is like, hey, if there's some scandal with your program, like I'd probably go to Bruce Feldman or the LA Times reporter in your market before you read whatever the 247 site is saying about it. Um, I will say that, yeah, that that whole subscribing thing and and having your subscribers and people who want to go and find out what are the odds that Dante Moore comes, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that that sounds innocent, but I kind of think it isn't. And the reason why I think it isn't, it isn't, is that like there are still Penn State fans out there who think that you know Jerry Sandusky was a rogue agent and that Joe Paterno knew nothing about that and that Penn State was completely clear except for one. And I'm and I like how do we know? Like I'm convinced mm-hmm. that they that the that these people have found a community on a Penn State premium message board where they said. Where, where the insiders who are, have relationships in the program have peddled a lot of bullshit. Um, like, I, 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 like, that's, it sounds innocent to be like, yeah, they're just going to look at their own, th- but like, these people, when you, when you sort of have, uh, you have now, there is now a community of people who have exonerated Penn State and they're loud. And I don't know, I find this problematic. I guess I just think it's weird, but maybe I'm, I, maybe I, I'm wrong. I, I absolutely agree that those message boards are in, 99% of cases going to be the first people to exonerate their program and the people connected of it with it of any wrongdoing whether that has any merit whatsoever but as we as we come back to like what this discourse that has actually been about like exactly what Reed just said where he's talking about hey yeah like this is what these fan sites are and so when we are talking about 
if there's a scandal or if there is these things, maybe don't have that be your first source. Is that not exactly what we've been talking about? And what like is the reaction to, to us, Carlos, and, and to you specifically of what you've said is like, oh, how dare you question credibility? You know, yeah. right? Where it's like, no, that's exactly what's happening. Like I'm not I'm not making anything up. I'm saying if this is the behavior that you are that you are engaging in, that's fine. I'm not saying you need to be fired or like that your site no longer has any value, but it absolutely is a calculation in what is your credibility. Yeah. And here's the thing is that they are not going to stand by if if they are the ones saying to their subscribers, Hey, uh that Jaden Rashada, that was actually if UCLA, if this was Jaden Rashada that happened at UCLA, if that did happen and Bruce Feldman does report on it and, you know, you have Brett McMurphy also reporting on it, uh, they're not going to stand by. Broom Report Online, I'm sure, will not stand by and say, oh, yeah, they're uh, we're, we're just going to let them be critical of this. What's to stop them? Again, like, th- this is this is what 24-7 sports folks do uh, in front of the message boards, right, outside of their websites is they get on Twitter and they say, this guy's a fucking moron. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. We have all the inside stuff here if you really want to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. That sort of shit is toxic to me. I don't know. I, I like, think nothing is nothing is there. There is no mechanism in place to stop them. But I think there will always be those fans, no matter true. if they have a community or not, that will exonerate the program no matter what the fuck happens. And I just think your average person should have the capacity to look at these sites with a critical lens. Yeah. I think there are times when they have credibility, but there are also times where you should take a step back and realize, okay, clearly they are not the people to listen to on this issue because they're they're doing a different yeah. job. But, you know, also individual actors at all these sites will, like, perform differently. Like, you know, I, I think there's people who just want to cover recruiting. Like, I wanted to cover recruiting for a while, wrote about it there. You know, if some sh- shit ever happened where Oregon had like a major scandal, like I would talk about it. And if I was told not to talk about it, I wouldn't write there, you know, or if that denied me sources. And there are people like that who report for a lot of these sites. That's uh, true. You know, yeah. I, I don't think all of them uh, would tow the company line, but based on how these incentives are set up over the long haul, you know, if you don't tow that company line, you're going to lose sources and maybe yeah. not be able to write there anymore. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, I think Chris Cartman for ASU site, I think he's done a pretty good job of being critical of the yeah. program. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, he report, he was the guy who broke the ASU recruiting stuff, I think. At least he did a lot of reporting on it, and it wasn't in a way that was super protective of the program. And I think when, when sites do things like that, it is very credible because they have reasons to, you know, cover that up. If they're not doing it, it's got to, you know, they've got to believe it's true at the very least. So, I, you know. But if Chris Cartman says he does that and then he says, hey, there's this NIL collective guy who wants to stay anonymous, but you know what? Trust me, you, you can donate to there. Does that hurt his credibility for you? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, this is my, this is my issue is that, I don't know, I, uh, David Woods and I got into a, a tilt on twitter and it turned into a whole thing he soft blocked me we don't interact anymore over the, <laughs> over the past 72 hours whatever it, it's but like i'm someone who came into this being like yeah i mean i, I trust david he's he's been one of the few people who's been willing to be critical about shit call out shit not really protect ucla not really protect whoever i like i found him to be a principled person 
And when he and Bruin Report Online started sort of doing this thing, we're like, hey, donate to Men of Westwood. You have problems with it. Oh, well, we'll vouch for it. That's when I really, that's when things are, I'm like, whoa, like, this is bizarre, right? Like, if Chris Cartman started doing that, I would, you know, would be like, well, what, what the fuck is this? This is bizarre. It doesn't mean that he's not principled, too, you know? Like, I believe that David Wood believes, you know? Okay. I, I believe that uh, he trusts whoever it is that is running uh, this Men of Westwood collective. That being said, now that he said that, he has tied his credibility to that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he can't... I don't trust him to talk objectively about it going forward. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, well, that is the NIL discussion, uh, and I appreciate you all offering some countering points, and hopefully people found that useful. I mean, certainly, I mean, I, I just, I, I, maybe I've overreacted to it, but I definitely feel like there's just something strange about this NIL situation. And I don't think, by the way, like, Men of Westwood is some uniquely evil NIL collective. I just worry about the structure that is in place now for how players get played players get paid and played uh, and, and, yeah <laughs> yeah and played uh and i worry about setting a bad precedent that like actually these nil collectives can be you don't have to be someone who's at the front you don't need accountability i worry that this is a bit of a, a precedent setting thing in terms of collectives and you know is it a precedent that you know are we now setting a precedent that uh fan sites 24 message seven message boards are going to look at this and say oh hey we can get in on that too we can increase our access that way too i just worry about that what's what it what it's going to create structurally rather than men of westwood in particular i mean even apart from like you know associated with 247 i just think that it's set a trend of just like oh if someone says nil you just kind of hand hand wave away any concerns you know i I mean Mm -hmm. to just be honest and not to give anyone any ideas here, but like if we created an NIL collective for a school and went on Twitter and you start DMing people who have a lot of followers for that school and say, hey, donate to us. Like, here's my Venmo. Uh, I promise it's all going to players. You know, like that probably would raise some fucking money right now because people just look at that thing and are like, oh, I guess it's good. This person randomly vouched for it because they were told that it was just helping players. Um, and so it's just created an environment where people are not very critical of what's going on with NIL collectives at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Well, anyway, that is our NIL conversation. Any last thoughts about this last words? I just I hate it. It's so systematic, like, right? Like yeah. this is a yeah. system and a structure that is creating this, um, that is extremely frustrating because it doesn't need to exist. Yeah. I agree. Agree. Yes. It's a very, very backwards way of trying to pay players so that some people aren't accountable to it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that's our lengthy discussion of NIL. Just thought we had to talk about it because it took up so much oxygen, at least in my little world uh, over the past week, uh, most of which was my own doing, to be fair. Um, but let's let's move on to more fun shit. Let's lighten the, uh, the, the, the tenor of this episode. This is our season finale. And with all season finales, it's time to do some reflection, to look back, look forward to the Pac-12 season that was in both football and men's basketball so uh let's start with a with a nice little question here what's your favorite moment from the 2022-23 pac-12 football and basketball season what's moment one moment they're going to look back on and smile when you remember this season we can start with matt on this one 
I mean, 19 straight runs is is my immediate reaction. It just has to be. It just has to be. 19 straight (laughs) runs. Oregon State saying, oh, we're down three touchdowns. Uh, You're never going to pass again. Oregon State finally streaming no truck stops, as we have begged them to do for two years. Oh, goodness. abandoning the pass entirely. (laughs) Truly one of the funniest, wildest moments uh, this season, for sure. <laughs> Reed, <laughs> do you agree? How, how about uh, what about eleven straight minutes? Does anyone remember? <laughs> <laughs> like the longest you were able to hold out, or <laughs> Reed? Reed is referencing the fact that in UCLA's this is the Gonzaga game, right? In their loss to Gonzaga, UCLA went on an eleven-minute field goal drought. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, I actually I don't really like Gonzaga, and was rooting for UCLA. <laughs> um, in, in all seriousness, uh, for, I mean, for football, I'd say personally, the game I liked most was the Oregon UCLA game. Uh, that was just like really cool. The way that that game went as an Oregon fan, the onside kick, all that like felt a lot like a return to the fun aspects of Oregon football that had been suppressed a little bit during the Cristobal tenure, uh, despite for some success there as well. Uh, in general, I think capping it off with Utah winning was really cool to me. Uh, it felt like they kind of backed into the title. I did not believe we were talking with, about this with Matt on um, on the Patreon, but I asked Matt like, at what point in the season did you believe Utah was going to win the Pac-12 after the Florida <laughs> game, basically? And it was like not until the third quarter of the Pac-12 title <laughs> game did I believe that they would win. Uh, but that was kind of a cool story for it, you know. Obviously, a program that came from Group of Five joins the Pac-12, you know, was able to win last year, but then to be able to find a way with the worst team to still defend that title and come out on top, uh, I felt like just further validated what Utah is as a program and what they accomplished last year. Greg, what about you? It's a good answer. So mine feels super, super cop outy, but mine is just the conference titles of both of both seasons football and basketball uh i don't know why that's like i will remember the record book (laughs) the parts on wikipedia i'm there the 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 football uh title the sheer disbelief that i felt uh carlos and matt you were there you watched me nearly like pass out as we were walking back to uh our car after the game because i couldn't believe what had just happened i was so happy we need to take Uh, them behind the curtain on that one when no truck stops (laughs) almost fractured in that game (laughs) Uh, i I may have been screaming pretty loudly uh next to carlos matt and avery at least Carlos was very, very loudly cheering for USC. Avery thought I was being very annoying because uh, until, like you said, Reed, it was late in the third quarter that I finally started to believe Utah was going to win. Uh, before then, I was extremely pessimistic, even with the Caleb Williams injury. Uh yeah, I, and I may have been a little annoying, but I was so happy. I'll remember that forever. Then the Pac-12 tournament was just, uh, at least for me, and I'm sure for Carlos as well, having watched the entire season, you know, it was just such a good culmination of things. It was so much fun uh, getting to see all those players in person, uh, like 
I'll never forget watching ASU play in person, which is just really funny considering how weird they are. But like that was the thing that stuck out for me the most was just like, wow, these guys are really good. And it's just so funny the way they, they play basketball. And also the Tiger Campbell, like fucking massive game against Oregon after oh, a yeah. Dembona went out against a team with two or three really good bigs in Nfali, Dante, Kalel Ware, and Nate Biddle. Uh, to see Tiger Campbell take over a game like that was just really fun. So, yeah, it's the dumbest answer, but, uh, yeah, I, the moments for me were Pac-12 tournament and Pac-12 championship. Yeah, I think I've uh, – I, I, gosh, I mean, there was so much that happened in both basketball and football season. I think the, the memories that stick out to me most have to do with Oregon State. I feel like Oregon State football just had an, an unbelievably special season, uh, the – the game they played against Oregon was one of the greatest Pac-12 games ever that I've ever seen. Uh, one of the one of the you know the 19 straight runs, uh, the comeback, and and all of that stuff. Uh, the you know uh, Oregon UW the football game that was crazy. That was wild. That was stunning. I remember no one was giving Washington a shot in that game, and they managed to pull it out. Basketball-wise, the UCLA-Arizona games are always a blast. The first two games faltered. The The Pac-12 tournament championship game itself was uh, really fun. A true banger. Uh, it was it was one of the best games I have watched in, in Pac-12 play, at least. Um, so I guess that I guess I'll uh, I'll go with the Pac-12 tournament game. UCLA did lose, but they were missing their now national defensive player of the year in Jalen Clark. They were missing a Dembona. People sort of said, "Well, I think UCLA might be done here. We're gonna if they can just stay competitive, we'll be fine." Damn near won the thing. Um, probably should have won it, and uh, ended up falling short. But that was a, a fun game to watch, a fun game to talk about. It was um, it was it was quite something. So, yeah, that's it. I mean, Pac-12 basketball had a really really down season. I'm trying to think of other moments, but like I don't know, it kind of sucked. Uh, <laughs> like you, uh, Pac-12 football, we had what? five teams get 10 wins or something something like that um pack 12 hoops we had four tournament teams two of them were not good one of them was fraudulent and the other one was injured so not not a ton of really great memories certainly a lot of ton of games as a ucla fan but uh, oh one moment probably that we ought to bring up arizona state hitting a three-quarters court buzzer beater against arizona in uh in tucson at the McHale center yeah, <laughs> a fun. That game was absurd. So I, I'll, I'll throw that one in there. That one probably deserves to be discussed. Any other, uh, any other favorite memories from this season? I mean, just the, the added exposure that USC being good and Caleb Williams winning the Heisman brought to the league was so cool in a year where we had so many other good teams as well. I think that just made it a lot more fun. Uh, and then. Personally, for that USC storyline to conclude in the most unexpected, awesome way for me with them losing to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl <laughs> was just like, I, you know, I was the whole time I was a vocal USC hater was waiting for them to fall apart. Um, and so to have the season come to that uh, and lead into USC hopefully joining or I mean Tulane hopefully joining the Pac-12 soon. Uh, is just perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost uh, that USC being as as high profile as they as they were, almost kind of l- lend 
lent credence to this idea that the Pac-12 needs to be good in order for the Pac-12 to get attention. Kind of, kind of did work out that way. Um, there were some really, really good teams in the Pac-12. Uh, lots of really great games. All right. Well, what's one thing you're looking forward to, or you're desperate to find out in the future for the Pac-12? Well, we can start with Matt on this one. One thing you're, you're just you, you're, you want to see happen that you're excited about, or something you want to learn? Uh, Got to be the meteor hitting wherever the fucking Big Ten's uh, offices are in, in bum fucking nowhere, Indiana. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. If that could just go away, that I'd be pretty desperate for that to happen. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Reed, what about you? Something you're looking forward to? I mean, I think it's going to be another good football season. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I don't really know what to expect. Uh, I think that there's a chance that the Pac-12 could produce someone who maybe makes a playoff. Um it could also be another year of Pac-12 cannibalism, but I would love to see the Pac-12 kind of break through on the national stage and actually have someone compete in a playoff. Greg? I am really, really excited to see USC, this very talented team with Isaiah Collier and Bronny James yeah. <laughs> next year. I would like to see a run with those players. They're going to be ridiculously talented. UCLA is taking a step back. Uh, Colorado, while we were recording, Eddie Lampkin, the TCU center, has committed to them. Whoa! Wow, that's big. Wow, that's amazing. After losing Lawson Lovering, shut the fuck up, Matt. Shut the fuck up. Nobody asked. (laughs) Anyway. You know who Eddie Lampkin is. You remember the big guy for TCU against Arizona? We watched that game. We did? Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, you you watched that one. You did watch that one. It was a tournament game last year against TCU. It was a great game. Uh, Matherin detonated on a dude. Anyway, uh, excited to see what Colorado looks like. They lost Lovering and managed to upgrade, so good on them. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Especially, I'm, I'm excited for next year's Pac-12 basketball. Yeah, season. I'm excited for next year's Pac-12 basketball season too. I think it's gonna be a little more wide, wide open. UCLA probably losing some dudes. I think you can expect them to take a step back. But you're right, Bronny James at USC is gonna be. I don't know that Bronny James is like going to be. Gener- he's not generational. Uh, people are talking about him as a lottery. But he's pick. not their best recruit. He, yeah, I think Bronny uh, James is a very good, pro- uh, a good player. He's going to be a good college player, and he's going to be a first round pick probably, and he deserves that. But there's just going to be this weird spectrum of a bunch of people who think he sucks because his dad's LeBron, and there's going to be a bunch of people who think he's elite because his dad's LeBron. And it's just somewhere in the middle. He's a good player. I think the discourse around that is what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> I am. I am looking forward to how Bronny. I mean, assuming right now it's just assumed Bronny James is yeah, not committed yeah, to USC, committed. but yeah. it's assumed that he's going to USC. All the cards are falling that way. So um, I am very, very intrigued to see how USC and Andy Enfield deal with that. That is going to be a lot of attention. Galen Center might actually fill up a few times, honestly. Um, so that is what I am very, very curious about. That will be quite the spectacle. And when UCLA and USC play, it will be quite the spectacle. So, And Bobby Hurley is going to get his first one at the Galen Center next year. I'm calling it now. Because <laughs> it would make no sense. Are, is Jaime done? He's got to be. Jaime? You meant Jaime Hawkins? Yeah, Jaime. Sorry. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> never, uh, never almost certainly him. he's gone. <laughs> yeah. Almost certainly he's gone. So he's probably, he is definitely moving on, I think. Hasn't been confirmed, but. Okay, I have a real one. I'm actually desperate for UW to suck next year. <laughs> <laughs> I need that like I need, like, 
all sustenance. I need it like I need bread, like water, like air. Football, I assume. I have basketball too, but <laughs> yeah, specifically football. Matt has decided that Reed wasn't doing a good enough job getting his review bombed oh by Washington God. fans, and he's taken the mantle. I am <laughs> desperate to be right about this. <laughs> oh man, I I I don't know. I'm really hoping UW comes through. Michael Penix and all those insane receivers. I don't know. I don't know. You're right. They were a little bit lucky. I hope he throws not. three interceptions a game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. Well, that's what we have looking that have what we're looking forward to. That's what we're desperate to find out in the future for the Pac-12. One thing we didn't mention, and I'm so glad we didn't mention, we almost went a full episode without mentioning it, is the fucking media deal. Oh, <laughs> why'd you have to bring it up? Uh, it was such so- a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious to see what that is. Joy. I don't know. We've been <laughs> fucking. It's April now. It's April. We've heard shit about it. Remember when it was like. In February, we're like, oh yeah, it's gonna happen anytime now. By the by the by the middle of March, we're gonna get a new TV deal. By the third week of March, we will know what the TV deal is. By the end of March, that's the deadline. That's when George Kliakov needs to deliver a TV deal. Mm. We've heard shit. We've heard <laughs> we haven't heard shit. anything. <laughs> anyway, so uh, might as well get our one our one mention of the fucking media deal and TV deal. Hey, San Diego State, future Pac twelve, uh, Pac twelve basketball team San Diego State in the national championship yeah, they earned the right to get hammered by my Yukon Huskies <laughs> who I predicted would win the tournament and look at me look at me Carlos you you laughed you laughed when I said it but <laughs> well you're not laughing, laughing now, now. <laughs> <laughs> yes Yukon I do sadly I do think Yukon is going to beat the shit out of San Diego State but uh anyway all right that's all we have We'll continue to put up Pac-12 content and other content, too, up on our Patreon at NoTruckStuffs.com. Uh, any of y'all, none of y'all I know watch Succession. It's too, uh, too high-minded I watch for you. Do you oh, really? I, I, I watch it, but I haven't seen the first episode. It's it's definitely too high-minded for me. I feel, so I think I need to re-watch it now that I've, like, gone through and done the binge. I think I need to re-watch it and, like, actually watch it critically. Because there's a lot about it that I think I've missed. Mm, interesting. Did you watch the first episode of the new season? I did. And what did you think? Do you want to do an episode about it? Oh, maybe we should do an episode when Succession's dropping tonight as we record this. Maybe we should do something. Hop on Discord. I'm free. Oh, uh, yeah. We should do it. Uh, I'm um, excited. I, th- I thought it was good. I, I like it when the siblings get together and, like, I it's just they, they advance the um, – the human evolution of shit talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who are the disgusting brothers on the No Truck Stops podcast? <laughs> it's <Nuts>. very much <laughs> Greg and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke that just is, for me and Matt and all you succession <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> it is 100% just Greg. <laughs> oh, Greg. Disgusting brother Greg. All right. Well, that's Greg it. and his albums. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it for us on the main feed. We appreciate all of our listeners. Remember, again, no truckstops.com for all Patreon content. You heard what we're going to be doing later on, so please go check that out. Uh, thank you to all of our new followers, all of our new subscribers. Wildly successful season. I'm so grateful to have shared it with these fucking losers on this podcast. So, for the last time, that's Matt. That's Reed. That's Greg. I'm Carlos. Thank you for listening, and remember, there are no truck stops here. Bye, everyone. Rumors still and thick with smoke, so thick it makes.
said, I'm lonelier than a single sex on a quiet city street. Things aren't always green or 